You're listening to New Book Tuesday on CPL Radio, which is the radio station of the Cedarburg Public Library in Cedarburg, Wisconsin, or Wisconsin, as we were talking before the show. I'm Jeff Messerman. I'm the, let me check my name tag again. I think they call me Adult Services Librarian, and uh, I'd like you to meet the rest of the show. I'm Casey St. Clair, Head of Children's Department. And I'm Gemma Lavender, and I'm the Adult Services Library Associate. Wait a minute. Gemma, who's that? <laughs> My goodness, a new person on the show. This is very exciting. This is your first time on New Book Tuesday. Um, you've been here at the library now for a couple of months, correct? You started Since the end of September. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Great. I'm trying to bring an international flair to... <laughs> Because actually, uh, Park, yeah, I, actually, you know, she's from Arkansas, so yeah. it's. Uh, <laughs> I, I do a very good Arkansas accent. You do, you do. Absolutely. I'm just trying to be a bit more sophisticated today. <laughs> this is all for radio. I love it. Fantastic. Well, uh, for those of you tuning in for the first time, this is a show with librarians and library people who are constantly reading, and we'd like to talk about. The new books that come uh, from our distributors, from Baker and Taylor, for those of you who are interested, we're really lifting the curtain and lifting the veil to what we do. And not so much a book review show, but just to talk about what we've read, we'll still have opinions, and we'll get to that too. Um, we're going to start with Gemma today, because she's new to our show, and we're so excited. Gemma, what did you, what did you bring to us today? I actually brought a book that I took off uh, um new 14-day book loan. While I was in the library, I had to sit out at the front of it for a, a period of time, and I wanted something really quick to read while I was there that would capture my attention. Um, being a mystery fan, I went over and got something that I thought was going to be really quick and easy to read, but had an interesting cover and that I could read while I was doing the job downstairs that I had to do. I love all these check boxes you're Yeah, here. I know. So this is what I wanted. So I was like, okay, I'll choose a quick, cozy mystery. And then I actually thought, I haven't actually really realized what a cozy mystery was. So I did a bit of research on that. Ooh, enlighten us. Yeah. Um, so apparently it's sort of in a s- small social community. It doesn't have any violence, like really bad violence. Even though it's a murder mystery, it tends to happen mm-hmm. off screen. Sure. Um, it's, a, it's a cute murder. Yeah, it's a cute murder. <laughs> but I was quite surprised to hear that Agatha Christie kind of started this mm-hmm. genre, which, you know, and I was a big Agatha Christie, Dorothy L. Sayers, mm-hmm. um, Arthur Conan Doyle sure. fan, although Arthur Conan Doyle is definitely not cozy mystery. Um, and so I didn't really realize that genre started then. I just thought it was like a whodunit. That's what I've always known them as. Yeah. So anyway, I picked this one up. And as I will read to you, the first, well, it's actually the second page in, we meet Judith, mm-hmm. who's a 78-year-old woman who's a amateur sleuth. Nice. And this is why I continued reading it, because of this particular scene. So she'd been contemplating her morning, and she'd um, been, she's a big crossword addict, mm-hmm. um, which comes into the story quite a bit as well. It's one of the, you know, she starts solving this clue that's to do with a local crossword, and um, you learn a lot about cryptic crosswords in this book. Um, and so I started this, because this is, this is how it went on the second page. 
And it was because she was thinking about the crossword rather than her surroundings that she mistakenly got into a fight with a swan. She hadn't meant to, as she'd recount to her two friends, Bex and Susie, later that day. It wasn't even her fault as far as she could tell. It was all the fault of a dead duck she'd found floating upside down in the middle of the river, although it hadn't initially looked like a duck at all. She thought she was swimming toward a couple of orange-coloured twigs that were sticking out of the water. But as Judith got closer, she'd finally seen the white body, neck and the head of the duck submerged underwater, and she splashed in a panic over to the side of the river to get away. In doing so, she inadvertently swam in between a mother swan and her cygnets. As it was January, the cygnets were almost fully grown, but their mother still reared and hissed, her wingspan now wider than Judith was tall. Judith briefly wondered if she could get in between the span of the wings and grab the swan by the neck to take her down. But like nearly everyone raised in the UK, and I can attest to this, she knew that a swan can break your arm and she also guessed there'd be something unedifying about a completely naked 78-year-old woman wrestling with a swan. (laughs) Because that was the other problem. As was always the case, when she went for a swim from the boathouse at the bottom of a garden, Judith wasn't wearing a swimming costume. Of course she wasn't. They were damp, dank things that clung to your body and ruined the true feeling of freedom swimming gave you. The swan's head shot toward her with a terrifying hiss and Judith realised she'd have to get out of the water and fast. At least she knew she was at a bend in the river where few people ever stopped. Unfortunately, it was precisely because it was such a remote location that it held such happy memories for Ian Barnes. Ian had grown up in Marlow, had moved away some years ago, but had wanted to bring his wife, Mandy, and their two young children back to show them some of their favourite haunts. It was just as Ian was pointing out the exact tree stump where he'd once seen not one but two kingfishers that a naked 78-year-old woman climbed out of the river right in front of him and his family, ran a few paces along the bank, her entire body oscillating wondrously before she threw (laughs) off a flamboyant salute as she jumped back into the river, her legs tucked up under so she could bomb back into the water with a massive splash. I'll leave a little bit out, and then it says, it was her gift to them. (laughs) (laughs) And so I continued reading. I asked before the show, I said that I was in the mood, I wasn't sure if I should read this or not. Clearly I should. (laughs) It goes on there. I mean, Judith is my favorite character in that, just simply because of that scene, but also she is the main sleuth in her band of three. Um, But the others have very particular character traits too which are worth reading about and it's the characters that make the book which is a cozy mystery trait you know because the crime itself Mm -hmm. is traditionally downright silly yeah um and or just overly quaint yeah and but when you get into uh, character development and the character quirks, it's it's a blast. And That's such a charming passage. I love it. You picked a good one. Yeah, it was a good intro to them. And this is actually their second book. So, it's, well, actually, you know, first of all, the author is Robert Thorogood, which is a good name in itself. Um, the book is Death Comes to Marlowe. And it's, he... Well, he's a, I think, a TV script writer. Oh, he sure. did Death in Paradise, if you've ever oh, of course. Yes. watched any of those. Yeah. And so he is, you know, in prime position to make this into a TV series, which he oh, has done. wonderful. So I think the first book, which was The Marlowe Murder Club, where uh-huh. you get introduced to these characters, which I have not read, um, is now TV series, which is on 
I think the UK Drama Channel, but it's coming to PBS very soon in 2024. Great, great, yeah. And it stars um, Samantha Bond, who was... I think Miss Money Punny in one of the, oh, the James Bonds or two of, Bond, of the James yeah. Bonds when Pierce Brosnan was sure, James sure. Bond. Um, and she's been in Downton Abbey. Um, so she's Judith. She's so some, can't wait. She's got some UK street cred yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's, yeah. She, she very probably very. Um, Sort of more, even more attractive than I would have imagined Judith to be. Um, so, Movie magic, yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure she plays it well. Sure, um, sure. And then there's a couple of other really good actresses who are playing her friends. Nice. So I think that's worth checking out once you've absolutely um, read the book. Um, the murder itself is of Sir Peter Bailey, um, who lives obviously in a grand British mansion, um, as most. <laughs> you all do over there, right? Yeah. That's what I hear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're all familiar with us. And um, there's council it, estates and council mansions. Yes, it's nice. Yes, <laughs> so, yes. So it's, it's that. Pati- that's very, you know. Um, English countryside, which I think maybe I'd had a hankering for, just feeling a little homesick. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not to the mansion because we didn't live in one, but <laughs> definitely to the countryside. So it has a very, it's very good at describing nice. that part of England. Marlow is actually a town okay. in England. I haven't been, but I think it reminds me of like Windsor, okay. you know, that kind of place. Okay. Um, and the author lives there. So it must be interesting for his neighbors to hear what he has to say. Which which one is me? <laughs> yeah. I, I can do. picture that river bend. I know what one Judith is on right now. <laughs> oh my! Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, the murder happens the eve of Sir Peter Bailey's wedding to his nurse Jenny Page, and there's a lot of family drama that goes on. Sure. Um, the murder itself is a little complicated, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but that obviously gives the clues to the to Judith and his her cronies yeah, yeah. to to solve and decipher. Right on. Um, so yeah, it sounds like a fantastic read. It just it's sounds like very enjoyable and funny. Yeah, and, it's yeah, enjoyable. Yeah. It's lighthearted. It's not um, a dark thriller. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, murder mystery. Yeah. It's very cozy if yeah. that's what you're looking for. A lot of our patrons are. <laughs> yes, <laughs> cozy is the thing. So fantastic. Very you know uh, the. Two things I got out of this was one, I definitely need to read this book and the prior one. And two, I could listen to you read the phone book. So, um, <laughs> well, it's just was... as well because I made a bit of a few stumbles while it's reading. All right. It was a delight. <laughs> it was an absolute delight. So, fantastic. We're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we might uh, check in with Jeff. That's me. Oh, I better get ready. Okay. We'll be back in a bit on New Book Tuesday. Welcome back to New Book Tuesday. Jeff, what did you bring to the table today? Well, Gemma, our newest member of the New Book Tuesday Club, which is, I guess, we'll meet regularly, um, <laughs> is uh, mentioned a TV writer for her book. And um, 
Well, the book I chose is more in Sarah Kelly, who's not with us today, and I'm not going to make up any stories about her like we normally do here on the show. Um, it is a book called End Credits by Patty Lynn. It is a nonfiction book, so it is kind of more in Sarah's lane. The subtitle of the book is How I Broke Up with Hollywood. It's a memoir, and Patty Lynn was a TV writer. She wrote for a little show called Friends, which you may have heard of. Uh, she also wrote for Freaks and Geeks, which is a kind of a wonderful short-lived cult show that has its fans. And I believe she wound up on Breaking Bad for a little while as a writer, not as, you know, <laughs> wasn't cooking Thanks anything so in her trailer, yes. <laughs> um, so, um, and this is really interesting because I think if somebody at her young age walking away from a writing career in television in Hollywood people would say why would you do that you've you know achieved the you know top of the top of the line the brass ring all that kind of thing well that's what kind of we get into here uh, we're coming off of of course a summer of strikes in Hollywood with uh, the writers guild and then the actors following suit and it was just an ugly nasty horrific labor relations disaster and PR disaster for everyone involved. And the writers came out smelling like a rose in some ways. They got a good deal, which is good. Um, so Patty Lynn um, really kind of illuminates in this book the loneliness that she felt as sort of the only Asian writer in the room, not only being, and it's rare that there are women writers in the room as well. So that's really interesting and a little harrowing to experience with her in this in this memoir um she um this is kind of a micro genre i guess of uh, it's not just a memoir but it's also like a um a job memoir you know people get into like the nuts and bolts you know these career memoirs and that's um that's what this is that's what it snaps into it's something that it's so into the weeds sometimes that i think if you're not into television or the concept of television writing or if you're not interested in that this would be probably a slog I would think because she really does get into the minutiae of the day-to-day life of a tv writer of a professional tv writer so um but she's um and she grew up in the midwest um as uh you know and she had traditional Taiwanese parents who they and you know some of the stereotypes, sadly, are true. They all wanted her to go into medicine. They all wanted her to be a doctor. And um, but she has she discovered she moved around a little bit and she discovered that she had she was an artist initially. She was doing visual arts, but she definitely her happiest was when she was creative writing, doing. And she joined at a, a very young age in elementary school. She joined a after school creative writing club, which to me just sounds like fun. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, that really is where she flourished. Um, when she went to college, she wound up um, becoming a page for the Late Night with David Letterman show. And she got it in a really interesting way. She was on the NBC tour at 30 Rockefeller Plaza, the big building there in New York. And she talked to a just a guy, a security guard, and she kind of said, what would it take to um, become a writer You know, at, in, at NBC? And he said, well, you should go to a taping of the Letterman show, and then you should kind of hang around. And they're always looking for interns, so just uh, reach out to this guy. And she reached out, and within like 48 hours, she was an intern at the Letterman show. So it's one of those things where, you know, the way in, it seems very daunting in, you know, living the dream to say, well, I'm a writer or I'm a, you know, in production at one of these big TV shows. But in fact, if you're 
willing to not get paid for a while, mm-hmm. not not eat, it's actually not that hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just express interest. Um, the Letterman Show is rough. Um, talk about a good old boys club. It's 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 bad. Um, it's not pleasant. Um, she was actually a researcher, so when Dave would ask, uh, she basically had to um, research all the guests so that Dave would have a fistful of questions for his guests. And you know, you kind of want to make Dave look good, make Dave look smart, <laughs> which may have been a chore. I don't know. Um, but it's it was before the and it was interesting too when you think of researching a guest for a talk show. Well, this is pre-internet. The Letterman Show started in '85, so you were either on the phone or you were going through magazines. I guess she had to obsess over like Us and People magazine <laughs> to mm-hmm. kind of get all the get all the uh, interesting things. Um, but you know, TV writing, which you glean from this book, because it's a really competitive and stressful, and that's stuff we already knew. That's kind of one of the weaknesses of this book. Is what the strengths? Here, I'll get into the strengths first. It's she's very funny. She's a great writer. Uh, she's fun to just hang out with. And so that part is terrific. The weaknesses, however, is kind of like, one, there's nothing new here. We, we know it's a pressure cooker. We know it's awful. <laughs> I mean, and it is. She c- confirms everything that you would suspect about the lifestyle of working in television and working in Hollywood and being a screenwriter and all that kind of thing. She just confirms it's all true. And so we're talking about just constant feelings of insecurity and anxiety, exhaustion, um, you know. Um, and then she walked away. And it was all, you know, it's just this uh, cauldron of dysfunction and chaos. And eventually she just, you break. And so, yeah, I mean, it started out good. And by the end, I was kind of done i was starting to feel my anxiety and exhaustion started to rise so um yeah do i recommend it sure if you're into that sort of thing if you're not into the entertainment industry and uh the back alley dealings and all that kind of stuff um really interesting because she deals with imposter syndrome quite a bit and i like that that Mm -hmm. was really interesting how not just her, but anybody in that industry is just waiting for, I'll be fired tomorrow. I'll be fired mm-hmm. tomorrow. That's how you live. Every day you get up and say, is this the day I'm going to get hacked? Even though you're writing Friends, which is the top of the top, top of TV the, show. Absolutely. They for, called it dropping an F-bomb. If you said uh, the F-bomb was, uh, I write for Friends. You know, that was like... Uh, I'm not worthy <laughs> to be in your presence. Yep, yep. Would exactly. Friends um, fans enjoy reading this book? Does it share anecdotes little about bit, behind bit. the scenes with Jen and, you know... Not a lot. Well, you know, if anything, she does... Doesn't come out point blank and say it, but it sounds like to writers and to a lot of other people in production, the actors are just straight up the enemy. Because what? they well, because they come in and they say, "Oh, we love your script, but I changed everything." Well, yeah. that's a problem. <laughs> if sure. you're a writer, it's like you know that'd be like you cataloging everything and then like someone coming down and say, "Ah, well, I loved your spine labels. I changed them all." Um, <laughs> but great job. <laughs> but awesome. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, Thanks for all your hard work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was fun to watch you do all that. We'll see you on the end credits. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. you'll still be on the credits. Still, but... You have to be. You have to be. That's a union thing. So, so yeah. I mean, <sighs> what did she go on and do? Like you said, when she broke and she walked away, she wrote a book called End Credits. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it doesn't seem like uh, she really kind of went on a spiritual journey a bit okay. and kind of found herself because she. It was really interesting. Her parents, especially, um, her brother, I think, became a a teacher of some sort, and they were disappointed in that. This is first generation Taiwanese 
um, you know, pressure. Uh, yeah. Standards. And so it was, it was really rough for her. She just, she never, they, they were never, they would see writing for friends as any sort of achievement. Mm-hmm. They would. And, and, you know, even if they did, they said, Oh good. You're, you're professionally in a good place. Why aren't you married yet? Sure. And so, and she did give up a lot of her personal life for this lifestyle. Um, yeah, it's, it's a troubling it's a troubling book because you also <laughs> this is a little controversial I guess the author's personal weaknesses and failings are there and they're not really dealt with like some of her reaction to what's going on around her ties into I'm sure her upbringing her parents continual expressing of you know low level disappointment and so I think there's a correlation there that's not dealt with. So it's an interesting read because of that. Because then you can sit there and kind of, you know, uh, Monday morning quarterback uh, uh, <laughs> psychoanalyze the author, and you're like, you may have some more, <laughs> you might have some more work to do. <laughs> the book is good, but book two might be really something. So yeah, yeah. they're kind of missing a trick with not delving a little bit more into that because yeah. I feel like that would be a wider yeah. audience yeah. if. Mm-hmm. You know, of a young career woman Mm -hmm. um, in that age and career, you know. um, I mean, many jobs have bad bosses and microaggressions. And that's what we're dealing with here. And I feel like she's hiding behind a little Mm -hmm. of that by showcasing that so much. It's not so much the microaggressions. It might be your reaction to them. Mm -hmm. That's a problem, too. Sure. So that's... It's really interesting. Well, you read it. You stuck through it and you yeah. read it all. I did. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep. Made it to the end. And like I said, entertaining, uh, ample chuckles. She's mm-hmm. funny. There's no doubt about that. Her description of the 80s. And um, I felt a fair amount of kinship to her because she and I in the 70s and 80s had a very similar you know, s- upbringing in that Saturday night wasn't like the night that the family got together, the f- night we went out. No, it was the night that the Love Boat, Fantasy Island, and Eight is Enough was on, or Charlie's Angels. And that was, that was actually um, very bonding family time, is mm-hmm. all of us sitting around watching those shows and talking about them. And whether it was healthy or not, I'll let the listener decide. <laughs> so that's it Um, end credits by Patty Lynn available here at the Cedarburg Public Library and once I check it in after the show it'll be available for you too So place a hold. If Can you we like. cue the Friends credit music, or will we bit, get big copyright? <laughs> no, if I do it under thirty that. seconds, so far I've been getting away with it. So right uh, here we go. I'll be there for you. I'm not even gonna do it. All right, we'll be back. <laughs> back with Casey's selection in a bit. It's new book Tuesday. No one told you life was gonna be this way. Your job's a joke. You broke. Your love lies to your way. Welcome back to New Book Tuesday, and we have Casey with her selection for this week. Thank you, Gemma. This week I read The Uninhabitable Earth, 
colon, Life After Warming by David Wallace Wells. It is a young adult adaptation of his 2019 book, and it outlines the effects of human-caused climate change in a very succinct 200-some pages. It has very, very heavy content, but it is very urgent and important. If you have not read a book about climate change, or at least articles, or some movies or documentaries, you absolutely need to, especially after this past summer that we had with the awful wildfire yeah. smoke that we were experiencing. It, it's it, it's coming. It's coming, guys. Not to sound <laughs> didactic. Yeah. Hot and fast. Yeah. <laughs> not, a, not a fun way. Um, not to sound didactic or preachy, but it is such a hot button topic. Yeah. Yeah. I urge anyone to pick up a book. I necessarily don't necessarily recommend this one per se. I would recommend others before choosing this one, but I can get into that later. It must be serious because members of a certain party who don't like to talk about it kind of started talking about it. Mm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, now it's game on. You know, you got like Lindsey Graham or someone like that saying, yeah, we might be in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Yep. I think last year was a wake up call for very a lot of people because yeah. mm. the weather was crazy yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it was hot even mm. today it's unseasonably mm. warm very bizarre yeah east, and east coast especially has had a really warm winter like i have a friend in boston mm-hmm. who's like oh it's just another december day 60 and uh <laughs> 60 and breezy it's like what that's not supposed to be boston uh, yeah, that's not normal no. no and that's a little bit of a misnomer too because according to the book, it's not going to always just get warmer. Right. It will get extremely cold and extremely hot. So we're just going to get lots of extremes instead of... And no one likes extremes. Mm-mm. I hate all of that. Yeah. No, we hate all <laughs> that. Totally I don't look good that. sweaty. No. Um, so David Wallace Wells is not a climate scientist. He more so collocates all these facts and presents it in a way, lays out um, mistakes of earlier generations, talks about human behavior and science um part two of the book is called elements of chaos and Mm. each chapter is a different um i mean sort of awful trend that we've been seeing uh chapter one is called heat death oh boy next one is hunger dying oceans unbreathable air plagues of warming um yeah. So it's, essentially, it's Blade Runner 2049. Yes. <laughs> That's what's going on here. <laughs> um, the pros Ugh. of this book is that it's succinct and alarmist um, and yeah. that it focuses on humans' behavior. Um, one of the quotes I liked is, no one wants to see a disaster coming, but those who look do. Mm-hmm. And it's not a question of how bad things will get. It's um, another quote is, it's a question of how bad things will get is not actually a test of science, but a bet on human activity. So mm. the science is already there. It's just sort of hedging what humans will do yeah. to predict the future. Where, where does he fall on the fact that, you know, we keep hearing uh, the point of no return is close. And then actually some people this year have said, oh, we've actually elapsed that now. Now mm. it's a matter of like, how do we patch it up? Um where does he fall? Does he fall on that at all? Did he talk about that? Yes. In his 2019 version, mm-hmm. he, I think, mentions that we have more time. Mm-hmm. And in this one, he's like, okay, guys, like the deadline is very looming. Ugh. But at the end of the book, he says he's optimistic. But I've ugh. heard that too. I've heard that too. Um, you know, and the pandemic, of course. Ah, this is always controversial, but I'll go there anyway. The pandemic was kind of wonderful for the earth. People stopped it driving was. for a while. And, you know, and it almost, some even mentioned, well, the pandemic was just a course correction. That's all. Mm-hmm. It's just like eventually the earth was like, I reject 
what you weird humans are doing. Here, have a pandemic to slow your butts down and mm-hmm. let me repair some things. Yeah, exactly. So and pandemics are happening because of climate change right, too. Right. You know, people and human people and animals are coming into closer contact sure. when they normally wouldn't have been yeah. and therefore are transmitting de- diseases to one another. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so the pros are that it's very succinct and covers a wide range of topics. I would say the cons are, I've read better ones on the subject. For mm-hmm. instance, Under a White Sky by Elizabeth Kolber. Mm-hmm. She's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, another con was that this book didn't have any sources listed. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some facts in there that I wanted to read up further on. And I looked on the back and thought, oh, there's no sources here. And sort of a fun but terrifying fact is that nonfiction books do not need to be fact-checked yeah yeah correct there's the council okay. out there or uh, <laughs> like uh, you know closing my mouth <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this is a surprise so the so like the real dr fauci may not have been yeah. fact-checked is what you're saying that book we have upstairs yeah. yeah yeah and this isn't this is to be more transparent with people i don't yeah. want people to think oh these librarians have books that haven't been fact-checked on their shelves mm. well it's, it's not us it's not us it's the publishers <laughs> right right because um, they do not pay to have the books fact checked. They yeah. leave that up to the authors, and they don't write that into their pay advances. Mm. But then so, they still don't have to list sources. Nope, they don't have to at all. I think well, the ones a publisher could say, yeah. "Hey, we yeah. want you to list your sources in order for us to publish this book, but we're yeah. not going to go the extra mile and actually check these sources." Yeah. You can pay three, five, ten grand to have mm-hmm. someone do that for you, mm-hmm. because if your book goes down, you know, no one knows that declaratory press or yeah. penguin random house sure. it's, it's david wallace wells he's going down if people have a problem with your nonfiction. so i wish sarah was here to talk more about that maybe that i'll have question her later about uh how you navigate that um but yeah that's i never bizarre. thought you know that i never considered that i for some reason i just sort of accept nonfiction as like here's our row of experts Mm-mm. and all is well all might not be that well. <laughs> no. And some nonfiction is nonfiction-y, more nonfiction-y than others. For instance, yeah. political pundits. Yep. That's truly not nonfiction. That's no. opinion, like op-ed yeah. pieces. Um, so, like always, if you're going to read about a topic, read two books on it. Nice. Yeah. Read a book yeah. and a couple articles. Do what I did. Double check some of yeah. the facts because you were interested. Um, or read eight they're free here read eight read eight (laughs) books about climate change and then come crying to us (laughs) we'll know you we'll see you from afar because you'll have this sort of pinched look we'll know that you're just kind of terrified come over here let's sit down uh, a copy of uh, Winnie the Pooh here for you after (laughs) all that yes come to the kids department yes Yes. make you feel better absolutely another book I would recommend is to pick up a book about nature that has to do with the Wisconsin, for instance, mm-hmm. Sarah's book, um, "The Age of Deer." Yes, yeah, absolutely. That would be a really cool week. way to learn about climate change sure. through just a very hyper-specific topic like deer yeah. and their patterns. So, I think this is a little bit um, overwhelming to read at first. I would focus on maybe just learning about nature in general, yeah. and then dive into the impending doom that de- <laughs> nature is headed towards. <laughs> <laughs> they are running away from no one to Well, and again, I, we have mentioned on this show, but this movie, uh, what is it? The uh, leave the leave the world behind uh, mm-hmm. use, utilizes deer quite a bit, and they start mm-hmm. clustering up in strange places because the wild, the, the natural world will know first when it's all about to hit the fan, and they so, will come attack you when you're skinny dipping.
jumping in the river. Entirely possible. What a theme we have going today. I love it. Everything's linked. This is such a uh, such a fine show for just that. So wonderful. Well, thank you, Casey. And thank you, thank Gemma. You. I do hope you come back. Oh, I am scare sure, you off. I show well. Excellent. Yeah. Fantastic. So we'll be back next week uh, for New Book Tuesday. And as always, if you liked what you heard, please share this show with friends and neighbors, aunts, uncles, fifth cousins we don't mind um and uh we uh we appreciate anything you like that you heard you'd like to read uh, i will put all the links to the monarch catalog if you're in the monarch library system you can request them right by hitting the link inside the show notes that's all i got we'll talk to you soon take care bye all